Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So I just was away the week before last. I went on a short trip to Egypt. I went, um, there's an organisation called Open Doors who work with what's called the persecuted church, people who are persecuted for being Christians. They arrange the trip. And um, I have to kind of be careful in some senses in terms of what I share and what I can say about that because the people there that I was visiting, many of them are in really dangerous situations simply due to the fact that they are Christians especially if they didn't used to be, especially if they were Muslims who've now converted to Christian, Christianity, they're under a death sentence. They, you know, they're, in, they're living in, in secrecy and in hiding. And um, Christians are massively the minority there in Egypt, as they are in many parts of the Middle East, and routinely oppressed simply because they say, I belong to Jesus. I visited this uh, place in Cairo called the Martyrs Memorial. It's, in a, it's next to a cathedral there in the, uh, the centre of Cairo. And um, there's just rooms, a number of big rooms, just from the last 10 years um, of commemorating people who have died as Christians, who've been, who've been um, suicide bombs have blown up or um, they've been kidnapped and uh, threatened and tortured and, um, and killed um, for Jesus. It, 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 there's one row, 29 men, women and children in a, in a suicide bomb just a few years ago in the cathedral itself, in the, in the, the rooms next door. Um, and then there was others, there was, a, there, there, was a twen- there, there was 21 Egyptian men, you may remember this, some of you, who were uh, executed by ISIS on the beach um, in Libya. They were um, captured together with hundreds of others. They just went to Libya, because it shares a common border, for work, Farm, farmers, um, agricultural labourers. They went there and they were, they were taken and they were, they were, because they were Christians, they were many, many of them were tortured and uh, told, renounce Jesus, don't say Jesus is Lord and you'll be, you can go free. And Many did. I met with a uh, Coptic Egyptian bishop who told me that he'd had the blood of martyrs on his hands many times. And um, he said, and these, uh, these people who came back after the torture, they were broken because they had, they had denied their faith and he said, I had to love them and, and pray with them and help them with that mental torture that they were going through and continued. There was, there was, um, picture, there was, there was the robes of priests who've, out in rural villages who've been, uh, who've been killed. Um, there's, there's these people who, as we're in this series and we're saying as a church, we're all about Jesus. That's what they're all about. And as a result of that, they're martyred. And the fact is, for 2,000 years... While people have said and declared it's all about Jesus, they have suffered as a result of that. Um, in a world when, in which Jesus was born, where Caesar was Lord, to declare, as one of his followers later did, Jesus is Lord, was to put you under intense pressure and persecution right from the start. So it's not the, some gospel of 
become a Christian and everything will always be great. It's not a message of become a Christian and improve your life in every way possible and God's just here to make you healthy and happy and wise and all those kind of things. And when I go in these kind of places and meet the people that I met and talk with many of them, it makes you ask the big questions. I mean, the big question for me is like, what would I do if it was me? If you're part of this church, you know, as I said before, if you're not, you're welcome. If you're part of this church, what would stop you from coming? Would it stop you from coming because in three weeks' time it's Community Sunday and you think, ah, because it stops a lot of people. A lot of people go, Community Sunday, oh, that's my Sunday off. I don't need to come and pray. I don't need to be part of this. I don't think I'll bother. What would it stop you? There's a guy, I can't say his name, who was our guide for the, the time we were there. And he was telling us, I said, what's it like then just as an ordinary Christian here? Because we met lots of church leaders. What's it like for you just as an ordinary Christian? He said, oh, well, um, most Sundays. He said, you could turn up to church and there'd be somebody outside who says, um, you can't come in. Uh, the church is stopped today. You can't come. So everybody gets turned away. Or you come in another week and they'll do it again just to annoy you. The police are there. And then you come a couple of weeks later and they'll say, uh, now all the streets around here are cordoned off. You can't park within a kilometre of the building. Would you still come? If you couldn't park within a kilometre of here, would you still bother? Sometimes we put something on, we do our ivy all together as a lot of people decide, oh, I'm not going to academy. I'm going to go all the way down there. I'm not going to go to Withenshaw Forum. Oh, you need me parking. It's important. What's important? What stops you? What would stop you? He said they had all these bombings a couple of years ago and he just had a, a, a little boy who was two years old and, um, and word was Easter Sunday there's been bombings, there's going to be more bombings. Don't, you know, like today, if it's ever going to happen, it will happen that day. And um, he, was, he was thinking, it's irresponsible. I can't go and take my wife and child when there's these threats. But he couldn't get it out of his head. I've got... It's Jesus. I'm worshipping Jesus. It's Easter. So he, uh, he thought, you know what? He woke up, he thought, even if I'm the only one, I'm going to go. And he said, he said to his wife, he said, come on, even if we're the only ones, we're still going to go. And when he got there, he said he couldn't get a seat. Because the church there is full of people who say, even if I'm the only one. He said, the police will sometimes just come and take everybody's names because they come to church. And because you're a Christian, you don't uh, get to live in certain areas. You don't get to go to certain schools. You don't get to open your business. You don't get, you know, I talked to a pastor who's 30 years trying to get permission to have a, have a church. He's only just got it after 30 years. It's, kind of, it's just pressure all the time for being a follower of Jesus Christ. You, the little girl two or three weeks ago because I mean the thing is you could blend they don't look different you know, so there's a little girl who, who was on a bus the other week and she's on a bus and she's not wearing a scarf like a hijab like the other people on the bus little girl on the way to school and, and so these women who are wearing hijabs come and grab her and cut all her hair off and cut her ears and her neck because because she's a Christian what would you do? parents what would you do wouldn't you think oh well it's better to blend you know fit in or would you like the place 
I went to later, Garbage City, 70,000 people live in absolute squalor, tiny little houses, full of, literally full of rubbish, because this is the collection centre for, for Cairo. 70,000 people live there, 90% Christians. The place stinks like when you go to the tip and you lean in a bit too close, all the time, everywhere. This is where they live. And yet, later we're going to be dedicating Jasmine, we won't be doing this, but I, I pass, and we, my friend took a photograph of the window, a little four-year-old boy, who their mum and dad are holding him while they're tattooing a cross on each hand at the age of four, because they're saying to him, you are a Christian. You are always going to be a Christian. Despite what's going on around us, despite the fact that this may limit your education, this may limit your, where you get to work and all this kind of stuff, because all of that stuff only matters for this life. What matters most to us is what happens forever. You belong to Jesus Christ and when we dedicate you, we're dedicating you to him forever. What would you do? What would I do? I saw a woman in a place where you could blend, going into, in this 70,000 place, garbage city, where I'll show you a video sometime soon. They have dug out of the side of a mountain and into a cave, a 20,000 seat church and prayer room, where they declare day and night, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I saw a woman going into the prayer room with a big cross tattooed on her forehead, because she's not gonna blend. Even if their world stinks, all the time. As a church family, we have had some really, really tough things. I have to say that. I'm say I'm sorry if you're a guest, but it's just some stuff we've got to talk about in terms of family business. Some things to contend with as a church in the last year. The fact is, if you're a tiny little church with just a few people coming, you've only got so many to love. But as you grow, your heart gets broken more because there's more people to love. More people to connect with if you decide to do that. If you don't just sort of back away from it, but if you get involved. And this year we called it our year of hope and we've had some great miracles. And answers to prayer, but together with a lot of mystery in terms of why didn't that prayer get answered the way that we would have wanted it to happen. I've had that in my own life. I was meant to be over at Ivy Fuse today, but I swapped because I felt it was right, we felt it was right for me to come here to try to bring a world of hope. And the Bible has that. It's not a word from Anthony. I want to bring a word from the Bible. I don't know how I would manage otherwise to be able to get through anything. See, preaching is a challenge anyway. All the time. But especially on hard Sundays. On, in tough times there's a special burden on preachers to try and bring something in dark and confusing days when yourself you feel confused and when you've got your own questions and when the nation's in turmoil and when disaster strikes and, and when Connor a lovely boy who with so many of us have prayed and fasted and claimed and shouted and everything and then I'm with him the night before he died whispering in his ear and praying for him and it's really hard. And I'm holding it together until his mum, Jane, says to me, you know he was the first child you dedicated when you came to Ivy. And then I lost it. So, I want to carry on trying to speak hope in the face of hopelessness. Because we do have hope in Jesus. And would you pray for me that I'll be able to do that?
And right now I'm just going to pause and we're going to especially pray for the McConkie family. Let's just do that in quiet. Bring your own thoughts and prayers to God. Lord, we declare Jesus is Lord. Amen. Now, even if all we ever get to say is in the good times. If all we get to proclaim has nothing to do with frustration or grief or or unanswerable, it seems, questions from where we are, then the Apostle Paul says, then we are of all men most to be pitied. If it's only for this life that we have hope. And that's why for me, it, it would, I've really considered it to be, it would be a de- dereliction of duty for me to either pretend dark times don't exist and us just do a service anyway, or, or, or to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn and to be able to try and bring something in the face of the questions which will still stru- trouble us even if the answers don't necessarily satisfy us. See, over the years I, uh, that I've followed Jesus, I've developed a theology, a view of God, literally what a theology is, knowledge about God, a way of thinking and, and believing that has enabled me to keep going. That's sometimes all it does. Just to keep going and to work through tragedy. Now, it isn't the same as working it out, it's working it through. In 1996, something happened nationally. It was a big thing. And I was then had to come and speak to a group of people. I was very kind of new to ministry stuff. It was a horrific situation with so many unanswered questions. And, and, I'm, and, and I was praying, thinking, what on earth should I say? What, how, how can I bring any kind of sense to this? It was a senseless, terrible, horrible tragedy. And in that moment, I heard a still small voice that I've come to know that said, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. Now, I read my Bible every day, so I knew that was in the Bible. Death is an enemy. Cancer is an enemy. Cancer is horrible. I hate it. It's all right to hate it. It's right to hate it. 
There are people in this church who dedicated their life because they hate it. To try and bring hope and healing, and they do. And sometimes prayers are answered, and sometimes that comes through natural means, through medicine, and we're so grateful for when that happens and for the care of medical staff. So yeah, cancer is an enemy. Death is an enemy. The Bible calls it the last enemy to be defeated. And we have an enemy. You might think, why are you even saying that? Surely you don't believe in a personal devil. Well, I read my Bible, and if I'm going to believe in a personal God, there's also a lot of stuff that talks about a personal devil. Jesus himself said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he comes to do. He only ever comes to do that. So we have an enemy. That's what he does. And it's good to know who the enemy is. Because the, the enemy wants everybody to focus on the wrong enemy. And if you focus on the wrong enemy, you don't know who the enemy is, you end up just generally hating. You just end up just generally angry and frustrated. And you've got no focus for that. So this little voice in here somewhere said, an enemy did this, and so I looked through my Bible, and, and I knew the words were familiar, and I realised this was a story that Jesus told to his friends. He said, a good man sowed good seed in a really good field that he owned. And he later explained, the world is a, is a field. But in the night, an enemy came. came to cause trouble, came to spoil. And he sowed bad seed into the good field. And it all started to grow up. So the wheat was mixed up with the weeds, inextricably linked together. And one day, the servants came out and they saw it and they realised and they were like, oh, no. What happened? What's happened in, in this field? And they had the questions. They didn't know where to go. So they ran to the master and they said, Lord, what happened in your field? And then they asked the question, didn't you sow good soil? Is it good seed in the field? They're, like, they're asking an honest question. We thought you'd done it well. We thought you'd done it right. Didn't you sow good seed? And he replied, an enemy did this. He knew who was to blame. And then the servant said, well, master, should we go and pull up the weeds? And he said, to quote my friend Michelle, who's here somewhere, that's above your pay grade. <laughs> they wanted to sort it out. They said, you're not going to be able to sort it out. You won't be able to sort it out. You can't untangle the weeds from the wheat. If you try and do that, you're going to pull up the wheat. Everything's going to be ruined. But wait. At the end, I'll sort it out. Now, I don't know if that story helps you or not. It kind of helped me that day, and sometimes... It helps me a little bit, but we can all come. The most helpful thing is it tells me we can come to the master with the question. It's all right. You can come with your doubts and with your anger and your frustrations and you can say, what happened? What's happening? 
why, with helplessness and despair and we can come to him and sometimes you see the thing that happens is because maybe we don't even want to come to God we just want to be angry and we see sometimes you even start to see God as being the enemy and so they ask out of their pain this question what kind of God would allow this what kind of God even they'd say would cause this they go one further before long what kind of God and it's really important to know what kind of God you think God is and you can make up your own answers to that lots of people do but the good news is the Bible tells us and not only that the Bible tells us that God has shown us because God has come what kind of God is God how can we possibly find our trust God in the middle of suffering these are profound questions listen I've wrestled with them too this isn't some simplistic thing I would say this has been one of the toughest years of my life in so many ways I've gone through many many lows and it shows little sign of suddenly getting a lot better in Ivy's year of hope I've really needed hope many of us here in this church have really needed hope and I've done what I can to be able to comfort and pray with a number of families as I know some of you have as well and just recently last 12-13 weeks I've performed the funerals of my friend Ian Horton my friend David Clayton and this afternoon I'm going to go again and see Jane and Cliff and talk to them as we make the arrangements for Connor who as I say was the first child that I dedicated here at Ivy so be assured we all have our questions and today even though I fear I'm speaking way out of my depth and above my pay grade even though at times I'm speaking what's in my head and I'm not necessarily feeling it in my heart by the grace of God we will keep on going yes. I can look at the weeds and the wheat all tied up together in the tragedy in this tangled up world and I can't untangle it but I can go to the master and I can say Lord I've got questions about this I don't know what's going on and we can come with that rather than ignore them and pretend they don't happen we don't want to be like that even right now if we can't sort it out and having just been there in that church in Egypt in the persecuted church there I know we stand together with people really good people because people say well how can this happen to good people really really good people of deep profound faith who suffer not even though they belong to Jesus but precisely because they belong to Jesus whole other level And they choose to follow him anyway. And they sing his name in these services. I went to this place right at the back of Tahir Square where there's just these riots taking place. There's a church there. And on a Monday night, it was full of people singing, Yesu, Yesu, Yesu. Walking past the armed guards with the soldiers and all those people just going in and filling the place. Yesu. Singing to Jesus. And when you ask them, how can we pray for you? You know, they don't say, oh, can you pray it gets easier? Can you pray that people are nice to us? Can you pray the government just 
sort it out. And they don't pray any of that. They don't pray, make it better. Make, just pray my world gets better. They don't pray any of that. You know what they pray? They say, can you pray for courage? Can you pray we be, that we be bold? That's all they pray. And then they say, how can we pray for you? And then the one thing that they say as well, they say, can we pray for you as well? Please don't compromise the faith we are dying for. Because they know Jesus is Lord. And so we're going to look at these famous words and the example that Jesus gives us in Philippians chapter 2. And we've just been seeing in this series that Jesus isn't a swear word, what other people might think, and, and Jesus is not just a good man or a prophet or a religious teacher like other people. Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, we've been in this series. We've been seeing that he is the Son of God, he's the eternal, everlasting, pre-existing word. What is God like? That's the question we've been asking. Well, in Egypt and across the Middle East, the reason so many people are actually turning to Christ and away from Islam it's not just because they're horrified by the violence that comes up when Muslim Brotherhood and people like that get in power and they've seen what that can look like, but because that religion, like so many others, actually places God, if he exists at all, way high up there somewhere, totally indifferent to what's going on in the earth. They have this picture of God where there's this massive gap between the creator and the created. And you, you can't know him. You can know some things about him. You can't really know. You know something about his will. You can know what he's not, but you can't know who he is. Very different. And there are superficial similarities between Islam and Christianity, but to say they're the same is basically ignorant and actually insulting to people in such countries who know the reality. When we want to know what kind of God God is, the good news is that Jesus came to show us and tell us that God is our Father. And specifically, Islam says, God is not your Father. So here in this early Christian hymn, very early, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is in very nature God. He started at the highest spot, equality with God, equal with God. That's who Jesus is. This is the story of what happened with Jesus. So this is how Jesus started, right up the top in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, co-existent, co-eternal, equal with the Father. This is God. This is where he is. He starts at the highest spot. He's the son of God. His life didn't begin in Bethlehem. He never had a beginning. There was no start of Jesus. He reigned. He, he sat enthroned in the heavens. All the angels worshipped him. Bowed down before him. He was the same as God, this is saying, in his very nature. He was fully God. It was he who spread out the galaxies in all of their brilliance. It was him who created everything, just, to, just for his own glory, just to enjoy their brilliance. And then he created the earth and formed it and formed people in his image to inhabit it. He made it all perfect in that original state and he blessed it so that he and the Father and the Son together could share the love. They just wanted more people so they could love more people. 
And that they could share the love that they themselves had in some way, someday that heaven would actually come to earth and that we would be a part of it. Not just so that we would die and go to heaven, but so that heaven could come and take over everywhere. But, you read the story, there was an enemy. And he sowed lies and deception and the people made in God's image fell for it. They chose to sin, they rebelled. You see, if you ignore the manufacturer's instructions, things get broken. They don't work like they should. That's exactly what happened. That's the story, that's our story. He warned them, but now the bad seed was mixed in. The weeds were growing up with the wheat in this world. And the disease of sin just spread everywhere to everybody and stained everybody so that there's nobody now without sin. Nobody who could just stand on their own merit in his holy presence or receive the glory of heaven. What kind of God is God? What do you think? Does he care? Is he aloof? Is he indifferent? Does he just stand by and watch? When you pray, does it matter? Why doesn't he do something? The Bible tells us what he did to help us know what he's doing. See, when you read on, we see what happened, that when God saw this sin-polluted world so messed up down there, his heart was broken, so he gave them laws. He said, live like this and you can live with me. But they couldn't. They couldn't climb that ladder by their own goodness. He sent prophets to show them and tell them what he was like. They killed the prophets. And so, because he saw them stuck in pain and horror, he couldn't stay removed from that. And so, so because he so loved the world, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he let go of it. Take hold of us. To save us. God saved his only begotten son. The one who filled the universe filled the nappy. That was his first address. God had an address. Stable Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? God came to earth, lived among us in a really poor place. And he lived with sinful humans to pay the price for their sins so that he could be forgiven. He was born of a virgin, sinless. He was born sinless. So he didn't have the same disease that we all have. So he could help us. Somebody who's got the same disease can't help you. The enemy tried to kill him. Do you remember that? Straight away, when he was a baby, in a massacre. Where did he go? Egypt. God became a refugee, on the run, persecuted, a minority. Lived next address, backwater, Nazareth, where nothing good ever came from. That's where he came from. It's where the saviour of the world came from. Why? The Bible says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, this is personal, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
Only God's son could save us because only God could live here and not have, he didn't have that fatal disease. He didn't become infected. Only God could live a perfect life. Only God could pay the penalty for our sin because he had no debt of his own to be able to pay. Everybody else is way over our heads in debt. So he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He stepped into this broken, messed up world to rescue those he loved. He came down. He didn't come as a conquering king. He didn't come as Caesar, when everybody said Caesar is Lord. He didn't join the royal family. He didn't become um, some middle class person who had all the advantages. No, he, he made himself nothing. He was placed in the hands of a working class couple. For 30 years, lived as a nobody. Learned a trade. The prince of heaven made himself nothing. And then it says he took on the very nature of a servant. At his core, he was still in very nature God. At his core, he was a human being. He became a servant. What kind of God is God? The Bible tells us. That rather than stand apart from people who were broken and made in his image, he loved them enough to take on their image. To, to be like us, to be tired, to be hungry. These things are talked about with Jesus. He felt it. When his friend died, we read the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept because he felt it. He understood. He knows. He feels. And then he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. For many, the night he was betrayed, when all his friends thought that servant's job was way beneath them, washing dirty feet, he, the king, took a towel, made it into an apron, picked up a basin, went to them, even Judas grabbed his dirty stinking feet and washed them. How far would he go? What's God like? Would he, would he retain just a little bit of his, of his power for himself to save himself? Or would he humble himself enough to be able to give it all away? Would he really go all the way for their sake? Would he really let himself, let himself be killed so that they could live? You see, the thing is, this says he came all the way down. He gave everything away. They took away his robe. They gambled for it. He just went right the way down as low as it was possible to go. But he said, you can take my robe, but nobody takes my life from me. I'm going to give that. I'm going to give my life away. He died naked for our shame. He suffered the most humiliating and painful death that human beings ever devised. The most awful form of torture to die on a cross even death on a cross it says see the cross it was only used for enemies of the state notorious criminals terrorists rebel slaves no Roman citizen could ever be crucified but he died there not for his sin but to take away our sin and it wasn't the pain of the large nails it wasn't the pain of his tendons being torn to pieces it wasn't the the his life's breath eking out of him minute by minute and hour by hour as it becomes so hard to breathe and you suffocate. We all sin, you see, but he never did. 
That's why he can save sinners. When we acknowledge, I am a sinner, we get to connect with the Saviour. Because he's a friend of sinners. Greatest swap ever offered. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. It's like God says, I'll give you my righteousness and my purity and my holiness. You swap your opposite of all of that. He became the sin of Anthony Delaney. He became the sin of every person here. He became my, took on my death so that I could live. And Jesus is God's answer to our greatest problem. And he laid all of the sins on him so that we could be free. Charles Wesley captured this in one of my favourite hymns. I'll read it. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and died and bled for Adam's helpless race. And it says later on, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? This is amazing love. You're never going to get love like that. But you see, that's not the end because he died and he died on a cross. Everybody dies. And God became a human, so he died too. We all die. He went down to the deepest, darkest place. He was wrapped in a shroud and placed into a tomb in a borrowed grave. And the Bible says he tasted death for us, but then he spat it out. See, the story isn't over. We're nearly done. But I'm so glad the story isn't over. Because God, it says, because he'd gone that low, God raised him up. Because he did that, now he is highly exalted to the highest place. He's been given the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What kind of God is God? He's Jesus. Jesus is God. God gave Jesus the name above every name, the most holy, honoured name in the whole of creation, the Lord. The, 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 the name by which God calls himself in the Old Testament. So that now, whenever anybody says Jesus, everything in all creation says, oh, Lord. Lord. One day... Every, even the most powerful so-called person in the world will declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Every demon will declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Every dictator, even death itself, will one day declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So I'd invite you to stand if you're able to stand or kneel maybe you want to or whatever. If you get ready to worship and sing and you make your own response. Ahead of that time, you get the opportunity to declare. But one day, everybody's going to see it. The Bible says, even those that pierced him will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will bend in submission. Every head will bow in acknowledgement to that name above all names. All the angels in heaven know it's true and declare it. All the races on earth, all of his defeated enemies, including every disease and death itself and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so just start to make your own connection with him maybe it's been a long time since you prayed 
Maybe you come in just with your questions to the master. Maybe you've got your what about and how did this happen? And you can bring all of that. But in the face of our questions, we still declare Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Then you've shown us what you are like. You've not just told us. You've suffered the very worst that this world could throw at you. And now if we will share in your sufferings, the Bible says, we'll also share in your glory. If we'll bend the knee and not stay high up our ladders of pride, then we will declare the truth and as we bow down, God will raise us up. So right now, every person here gets the, the chance to make their own decision. Nobody else can make it for me. Nobody else can make it for you. But I'm going to invite you to just say the words. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. So I want to give you the opportunity to declare that. Maybe put your hand on your heart. Who's Lord? Who's in charge of you? Are you Lord? Is money Lord? Somebody else Lord? Nobody else is qualified. Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you believe it, why don't you say it and then we'll sing it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.